Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And uh, now, may I request that you forget all your problems and just relax? While I bring you the master key with which you may unlock the door to any opportunity that your mind can conceive. Hello and welcome to Film Pro Productivity, the podcast that helps film professionals and other creative people to live a more focused, effective and happy life. My name is Carter Ferguson and this is episode 40, The Law of Success in 16 Lessons, part 1. This episode was introduced by Napoleon Hill himself, speaking there in 1954, and over the next six episodes I will be introducing you to the concepts and principles which he first presented in his very powerful book, The Law of Success in 16 Lessons in 1928. And it's the book that his more well-known work, Think and Grow Rich, was based on, as well as many, many other self-help books and concepts which we find discussed in productivity circles today. And if you think you've got nothing to learn from something written nearly a hundred years ago, then think again. This is potent stuff. And before I go any further, I really need to tell you a little bit about Napoleon Hill himself and put into perspective his reasons for putting together this book or this course as it was originally. And while still a young man, Napoleon Hill had met someone called Andrew Carnegie. Now, if you don't know who Andrew Carnegie is, he is known as the third wealthiest figure of the modern period, although he died in 1919, with a net worth of, wait for it, $310 billion. He was a Scottish-American industrialist, a business magnate, and a philanthropist. I nearly got that out. I think Carnegie Hall, this is the Carnegie we're talking about. He led the expansion of the American steel industry in the 19th century and became one of the richest Americans in history. And through him, Napoleon Hill came to understand that a formula for success could be outlined in simple lessons that anyone could understand. He was commissioned by Carnegie to prove this statement and went on to spend 20 plus years of his life studying Carnegie and his associates to find this elusive formula. During that time, he was granted access to America's elite, including the likes of Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Theodore Roosevelt, John D. Rockefeller, and Henry Ford. And at first, he compiled his notes into a series of lectures, which he personally delivered across the USA over a period of about seven years. Then they were compiled into booklets, and finally these manuscripts became published as a single volume known as The Law of Success, which he released in 1928. That book was only distributed to 118 of the very wealthiest and most successful men who had contributed to its content, and one of these original copies, luckily for us, was used to create a reprinted version of The Law of Success in 2010. 
One thing I'd like to say is that when this was written, and I mention this only as I find it a little hard on the ear myself, is that in 1928, it was commonplace to use the term men or man when speaking generally about humankind, where today more gender-neutral words or phrasings such as they or those would work instead. So I will often, but not always, neutralise the gender put forth in the text. However, I don't do this when quoting directly from someone, which I often do, or where it isn't factually accurate for me to neutralise gender. For example, when I said there that the book was distributed to 118 of the very wealthy and successful men who had contributed to its content. Hello, Angus has just come in. It's because that's a factually accurate sentence. As far as I'm aware, he neither interviewed nor distributed this book to women, but that doesn't mean that there is nothing for all of us to learn from it. Angus is my dog, by the way. Just came in. <laughs> Should probably clarify that one. So Hill himself was all about inclusion, and I'm certain that if he wrote this book today, he would have made this adaptation. He, I'm sure, would have been horrified that his positive words somehow made any section of his readership uncomfortable or feel isolated. And I say all this as a kind of fair warning that on occasion you will hear these gender-specific words and they may jar a little, but bear with me if you are easily triggered as these lessons in success are accessible and relevant to all, and the benefits you will gain from them will more than make up for a few anachronistic and gender-specific quotations. With that point made, let's move on. Hill's other book, Think and Grow Rich, which was effectively a condensed version of The Law of Success, wasn't released until 1937. Rumour has it that this nine-year hiatus came about because the authorities felt that such an exact guide to success as seen in the original could be a threat to their roles in government and society. In Think and Grow Rich, the concepts and ideas are just diluted to make it shorter, but it's generally considered now that the real gold can be found in the law of success. You cannot push anyone up a ladder unless he is willing to climb a little by himself. Andrew Carnegie, unquote. Hill warns against passing judgment on this before having read the entire 16 lessons. Those who take up the course with an open mind, he tells us, will be richly rewarded. So bear with me over the next six episodes. Keep an open mind as I proceed and you will get a glimpse of the vision which Napoleon Hill set forth in the 1170 or so pages that make up the Law of Success in 16 Lessons. These shows are a kind of six-part series within the series, and organised so as to introduce you to the concepts within the book. And on that note, many of you will likely recognise topics which I've tackled in earlier episodes as the rules and theories which Napoleon Hill introduces here are intrinsically part of what productivity has become. It's worth noting too that throughout the lessons, Hill doesn't hold back on giving examples and if anything, it is that that truly separates it from his content in Think and Grow Rich. In the 1950s, Hill filmed a series of lectures based on this original work. He'd had a few years to develop the ideas, and there are a few nuggets of wisdom from that which I will use here. And the first of these was this. He said that success is a very profound and interesting thing 
because the line of demarcation between success and failure is so slight that it is often hard to see where one ends and the other begins. For those of us struggling with the many failures and disappointments that come along in life and work, it's worth noting that Hill's words predict for us success with a slight shifting of our outlook and our actions. Hill suggests that we read with a pencil and pad at hand as the lessons you're about to hear will superinduce a flow of thoughts covering a wide range of subjects. And I'd like to kid on that this won't happen in this, we think, more enlightened age. But (laughs) actually, there is going to be a lot of new information coming in here and some of it is going to really expand your mind and force you to think about things which you probably have either only briefly considered and skipped over or which you've never considered at all. And I realise that many who listen to podcasts are doing other things as you do so. You're driving, you're walking the dog or whatever. But if you can, I'd really try and take a bit of a breather between these lessons in case that I too accidentally superinduce your flow of thoughts too much and you have a bit of a meltdown. On a final note, I'm going to be switching around Lesson 2 and Lesson 1 from the book because Napoleon Hill did so himself in later life and because, to me, it makes far more sense this way around. Without further ado, though, hang on to your seats and let's have a look at the law of success in 16 lessons. Whatever the mind can conceive and believe, the mind can achieve. Definiteness of purpose is the starting point of all achievement. Without a purpose and a plan, people drift aimlessly through life. Napoleon Hill, unquote. Lesson 2. A definite chief aim. This lesson will show you how to do away forever with aimlessness and fix your heart and hand upon some definite, well-conceived purpose. It's important to recognise that all success begins with definiteness of purpose with a clear picture in your mind of precisely what you want from life. And Hill warns us not to underestimate the value of this idea. There's no greatness where there is no simplicity, goodness and truth. Leo Tolstoy, unquote. It'll come as no surprise to listeners to this show that what we need to do is to set out an objective and a time frame before we can achieve it, and that's as true for a small task as it is for a life goal. I talk about this often as without having a solid aim to focus on, you cannot effectively, efficiently and as directly as possible achieve it. Hill's specific instruction in regard to Lesson 2, A Definite Chief Aim, is to procure a neat pocket-sized notebook. And on page one, write down a clear description of your definite chief aim, the one circumstance or position or thing which you will be willing to accept as your idea of success. And remember before you begin writing that your only limitations are those which you set up in your own mind or which others set up for you. Please be the master of your own destiny and try not to allow yourself to be sidelined into achieving someone else's desires in place of your own. On page two, Hill asks us to write down a clear statement of precisely what you intend to give in return for that which you desire from life. 
Hill firmly believes that there is no such thing as something for nothing. Thirdly, he asks you to memorise both of your statements, what you desire and what you intend to give in return for it, and to repeat them at least a dozen times a day. Humility leads to strength and not to weakness. It is the highest form of self-respect to admit mistakes and to make amends for them. John J. McCloy, unquote. Lesson 2 covers a lot of ground, not least of which is the time he spends on the importance of humility, which he describes as the forerunner to success. But what Hill also gets into in this lesson is power. Success is the development of the power with which to get whatever one wants in life without interfering with the rights of others. And to Hill, power is organised energy or effort. And his book is called The Law of Success as it teaches how we may organise facts and knowledges and the faculties of our mind into a unit of power. This power, he says, brings you a definite promise. That through its mastery and application, you can get whatever you want, but with two qualifying words. Within reason. This is a point which I've hung my hat on in the past. In episode 28, you have the power. I say be confident, but not delusional. And when Hill says you can do it if you believe you can, he doesn't mean that you can become Harry Potter or ride a unicorn. It's the sort of thing that you'd think doesn't need to be voiced, but in my experience, there are those out there that keep themselves back from success, but they cannot recognise that they are in some way the problem themselves. Napoleon Hill says no one has the chance to enjoy permanent success until they begin to look in a mirror for the real cause of their mistakes. In the next lesson, we will look at how you can organise the faculties of your mind and the faculties of others to coordinate and focus on your definite chief aim. Any definite chief aim that is deliberately fixed in your mind and held there with the determination to realise it finally saturates the entire subconscious mind until it automatically influences your physical action toward the achievement of that purpose. This is something he talks about a lot, it's auto-suggestion, and I'll talk about it myself in future lessons. But for now, let me just say that your definite chief aim in life should be selected with deliberate care. And after it has been selected, it should be written out, as I detailed before, and placed where you will see it at least once a day. I have my aims, my daily aims, to-do lists, as well as my larger life goals written on my office wall, for example, and on the whiteboards which I use every day. The psychological effect of this is to impress this purpose on your subconscious mind so strongly that it accepts that purpose as a pattern or a blueprint that will eventually dominate your activities in life and lead you step by step towards the attainment of that aim. Hill says, suppose your definite chief aim is far above your present station in life. What of it? It's your privilege, nay, it's your duty to aim high in life. It's now that I get to the start of the 16 lessons. But before I do, I want you to really consider what has been proposed here in this one. Don't just let it pass and move on. 
pause the show if you have to, and really consider what has been said. And if you have to spend a few days or weeks considering how setting yourself a contract to achieve a definite chief aim could change your life, then do it. Thomas Jefferson said nothing can stop someone with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. And nothing on earth can help the man or the woman with the wrong mental attitude. Lesson 1. The Master Mind Hill discusses many things in this first lesson as he prepares and primes the reader for what is to come. He talks about how to stimulate your imagination so that it will create practical plans and new ideas and how organised effort is the source of all power. Don't skip past that statement either. Take heed and consider the words. Organised effort is the source of all power. If we set our minds to it, and can intelligently coordinate the efforts of the many working in harmony, we can achieve truly great things. This isn't a throwaway statement either. He really means it. This is the principle through which we may borrow and use the education, the experience, the influence, and perhaps the capital of other people in carrying out our own plans in life. It's the principle through which you can accomplish in one year more than you could accomplish without it in a lifetime if you depended entirely upon your own efforts for success. Hill explains too that the mastermind can give you absolute protection against failure provided that your purpose in using this principle is beneficial to all whom you influence. The mastermind is an invisible, stronger, third mind which is developed by a friendly alliance in a spirit of harmony of purpose between two or more minds. I'll say it again. An invisible, stronger, third mind, which is developed by a friendly alliance in a spirit of harmony of purpose between two or more minds. That is the mastermind. He clarifies too that no two or more minds ever met without creating, out of contact, another mind, but warns us that this invisible creation is not always a mastermind. A mastermind only forms when those two or more people work together in harmony of purpose and effort. I've seen many of the theories behind the mastermind discussed in productivity circles over the years, and it's one of these things that I've never really looked into, but which is of great interest to me. It's based on the idiom that success does not come without the cooperation of others. I haven't thought about that particular concept very often, as I say, but I've unconsciously been part of mastermind groups at various points in my life, and I'm very open to embracing the idea. I've had an awareness of it, I think, though, as I often think of Jim Rohn, which I finally learned how to pronounce his name, Jim Rohn, who famously said that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. In other words, if you spend a lot of time with a bunch of wasters, then you're not going to be getting out of your rut anytime soon, and it's highly likely that you will become a bit of a waster yourself. If, however, you spend your time with high flyers, you will follow most likely along that path too. When discussing the mastermind, Hill says something similar to Rowan. He says, 
it has been found that in a group of six or seven salespeople that they may use the law so effectively that their sales may be increased to unbelievable proportions. He adds the caveat that it is strictly for minds who trust each other and are interested in the good success of all parties involved. In my experience, it is with those final words that I have seen many a mastermind destroyed by selfishness and ego. Hill advises too that you control your mental attitude and make yourself friendly and agreeable with everyone with whom you are closely associated if you expect friendly cooperation in return. Indifference cannot create a mastermind alliance and a negative mental attitude can bring you nothing but failure. Your mental attitude is the one and only thing over which you have complete control. Whilst researching the book, he reminds us, I had the collaboration of practically every outstanding successful man this country has produced during the past 50 years, and I can tell you definitely that their success was due in main to their knowledge and application of the mastermind principle. And Hill gives numerous examples in the book. Just one is that Henry Ford's gigantic success may be traced to the successful application of the mastermind principle. With all the self-reliance a man could have, Ford did not depend upon himself for the knowledge necessary in the successful development of his industries. He surrounded himself with men who supplied the knowledge which he himself did not and could not possess. Moreover, Ford picked men who could and did harmonise in a group effort. Hill talks elsewhere, though, of how Ford's true mastermind alliance was with his wife, who supported and encouraged him. In this chapter, Hill also looks at why people fail and why some people antagonise others without knowing it, and how success is often a matter of tactful negotiation. He also explains that every human being possesses at least two distinct personalities, one destructive and one constructive. My default setting is self-destruction, and anything on top of that is a lot of bloody hard work. Gillian Anderson, unquote. The mastermind principle is simple enough to understand, although like many other concepts it is harder to put into practice. I'm going to end this episode here, but over the next five episodes I will dip into each of the remaining lessons. These lessons are constantly relating to one another, and I'll refer back to these first two many times. Just one more thing though about the Mastermind Alliance, I'm going to do an episode towards the end of this season I think called Delegate This where I'll be talking about delegation and I'm sure that some of these topics, these Mastermind topics will come into play. In summary of today though, lesson two, which I started with, states that you must do away forever with aimlessness and fix your heart and hand upon some definite, well-conceived purpose. In your struggle for success, you should keep constantly in mind the necessity of knowing what it is that you want. Know precisely what your definite purpose is and utilise the principle of organised effort in attaining that definite chief aim. And lesson one encourages you to form 
a mastermind, an invisible, stronger third mind developed through friendly alliance in the spirit of harmony of purpose between two or more people. No two or more minds ever met without creating, out of contact, another mind. But that invisible creation is not always a master mind. A master mind only forms when those two or more people work together in harmony of purpose and effort. Please consider the theory of the Mastermind Alliance, how you can create a harmonious mastermind group that will further your purpose. I'm pretty sure, as I've mentioned before, I'll be looking into this in a future episode. If you haven't done so already, then you need to start putting serious time into discovering or perhaps even rediscovering your one chief aim. Consider it, focus on it, and move on with purpose. And Hill actually gives a call to action within these chapters. He reminds us that there is no such thing as something for nothing. Everything, including your personal success, has a price that must be paid. And the only price your request to pay for the present is the effort necessary to do three simple things. One, decide definitely where you wish to be in and what you wish to be doing during the next three years. Two, decide how much money you desire to be making and what you are going to do to earn it. Now again, that's something I don't think we really consider. Why not make a financial figure something to aim for? Why don't we do that? I find this in creative circles all the time, that the money does matter, but we're somehow afraid to say that it matters. So this is an important one. Number two, decide how much money you desire to be making and what you're going to do to earn it. And three, form a mastermind alliance with at least one other person and remember that mastermind alliance you must ensure that you are going to be working together in harmony of purpose and of effort and it might be worth your time going back and checking out my episode called collabo haters and grabbing the collaboration agreement which i've got as a download on that one so number three is form a mastermind alliance with at least one other person making sure that you are working in harmony of purpose and effort. Gary Kether said, Success demands singleness of purpose. You need to be doing fewer things for more effect instead of doing more things with side effects. It's those who concentrate on but one thing at a time who advance in this world. In the next episode, I'll be firing straight into several more of Napoleon Hill's Law of Success lessons. If you're listening to these back-to-back, though, I'd still suggest giving yourself a bit of a breather between them, as there's some big topics on offer here. In the show notes for today's episode, by the way, I'll be including a link to a free PDF of the full book, The Law of Success, in 16 lessons as it's now in the public domain you can access that via the official website at filmproproductivity.com now take control of your own destiny keep on shooting and join me next time on film pro productivity The music that you can hear right now is Adventures by Ihimitsu. 
You can view the show notes for this episode on the official website at filmproproductivity.com. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter and Instagram at fight underscore director or follow the show on Twitter at filmproprodpod or on Facebook at filmproproductivity. Please support the show by subscribing, spreading the word and leaving an awesome review. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.